Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. Father in heaven, our hearts are yours. In the stillness of this moment, let every care, every worry, every concern, every stress simply fade away out of sight, out of feeling, out of thought in your presence. We literally want to hear from you, your voice speaking to us, not so much through the speaker, but through the scripture. Captivate our hearts and arrest our minds. Give us a clear picture of Jesus and thus a very clear picture of yourself. We ask this now in the worthy, excellent, and matchless name of Jesus. Let everyone say, Amen. It is June 2017, and Donald Trump is President of the United States of America. I knew I'd get your attention. (laughs) And as he is desiring and attempting to make America great again, a young charismatic leader begins a tour across the country. And as he begins his tour, he begins to win the hearts of the people in this country by meeting their needs, and he carries a message of hope. At the very core of this message of hope is this central refrain echoing over and over again. My administration is at hand. My government is now. As he does this, he serves and reaches masses of people. And as he reaches the masses of people, the movement begins to emerge from the grassroots. Oh yeah, at this time, he decides one day to go ahead and get on the uh, a high uh, uh, a precipice where all can see him. The cameras are ready, the paparazzi are ready, social media is abuzz. This thing is on CNN, it's on Fox News, it's everywhere. And he selects what is interpreted, what may be even seen as his cabinet, 12 men. All on the edge of their seats. What is this man getting ready to say next? Already social media is astir, debating this man. What is actually true about him and what is fake news? And as he's getting ready to speak, emotions begin to stir in your heart as you watch him ascend to the podium. What is he about to say? Already conspiracy theories are going around uh, uh, about, about what he's about, what his actions are. And as you watch this, as you see him come up to the podium, what are the thoughts going through your mind? What are your feelings at this moment? 
What is this? Some kind of coup on the current administration? Is this some kind of revolution? As you enter Matthew chapter 5, these would be the thoughts and feelings you would have experienced. Because at this point, Jesus has been going all throughout on a circuit, all throughout Galilee, and he's been preaching a message that has been echoing like a refrain. Everybody's talking about it. Love him or hate him. Everybody knew the message. The kingdom of heaven is now, is at hand. My government, my administration is now, Jesus is saying. And he's been going all across the surrounding country and he's been winning the hearts of the people by healing them and casting out demons. And his message has been driven over and over and over again. Everybody knows it whether they agree with it or not. Jesus, one day as you see this scene unfold, he goes to what is a mount right by the Sea of Galilee and he goes there one day and what is clearly interpreted as him selecting after he just got through healing masses of people in the crowd as power went out from him. As he's there, he selects 12. Some have been following him already, but he officially selects 12 interpreted by all according to his message as this must be his cabinet. These are, the, these are the leaders that he's going to now have that's going to help him run this government. The kingdom is now. And everybody waits. What is he about to say now? After he selects these 12 men, he goes up again to the side of what is a hillside, but was called a mount. And as he stands there, he gets ready to open his mouth. He looks out at the sea of people. Multitudes of people have come now from all over, Gentile uh, uh, nations that surround it, Jerusalem, Judea, Ty, Sidon. Everybody is, everybody is there. The haters are there. The fans are there. What is he about to say? And here's what he says. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, pay close attention to his words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What? Wait a minute, no. I was expecting Jesus now to talk about how he's now, his strategy of how he's now going to elevate all of us to national greatness. We were expecting him to talk about, we were expecting him to talk about how he's going to amass a massive military and conquer the Romans by force. Thank you. 
and conquer the Romans by force. What is Jesus up to? Did he not say the kingdom of heaven is now, is at hand? Everyone had messianic kingdom expectations. And here's what Jesus does. He flips their expectations. He flips their ideas and challenges them and completely turns them on their head. He says, allow me to define what the kingdom is. And he begins by what is famously called the Beatitudes. And in essence, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you are unusually, if you want to experience the kingdom life now, right? If you want to experience the kingdom, those that are citizens of my kingdom, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, I'm, in, I'm inviting you to be a part of it. If you're going to be a part of this kingdom, he says this, kingdom life now is when your unusually blessed state of mind produces an irresistible influence. He says, if you want to experience the kingdom, if you want to be a part of this kingdom under my reign, he's saying, those that have an unusually blessed state of being produce an irresistible influence. It has been well documented that the first century Christians were persecuted and many of them were martyred and killed. This was a movement that literally took the Greco-Roman world by storm. And it has been well documented. One author even says that the, 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 the death of the martyrs was seed for the gospel. The more they persecuted them, it was kind of like roaches, right? The more they tried to get rid of them, the more there seemed to be of them. I mean, by persecuting them, they were actually helping their cause. Why? As many people have noted and historians have documented and, 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 and talked about the Colosseums and, 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 and all of the ways in which they persecuted the early Christians. It has been well documented that many of them, as they were facing death, certain death by lions and by fire and all kind of horrific things, many of them were singing praises to God, counting it a, a, a honor to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. Families gather together as lions are approaching them. And they're singing praises to God. Thank you for allowing me, Jesus, the privilege of suffering with Christ. Was it not Jesus who said to Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting, not the Christians, why are you persecuting me? They know that Jesus had entered into their sufferings with them and they were suffering with Christ. And when the people that saw this, saw them die for a cause so noble, so worthy, that they looked and they said, there's got to be something about this Jesus that people could face certain death because of their faith in what has been reportedly a risen Savior. Clearly, they don't fear death. And they're growing in masses. Could there be something about this Jesus? You see, they had a faith, they had an experience with Christ that wasn't, what's the word I'm looking for, flaky? That, that, that wasn't wavering with whatever storm came into their lives? 
There was some level of growing consistency in their witness. And people saw it and they said, maybe there's something to this Jesus. You come back to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is saying, listen, this blessed state of being is what we famously call the Beatitudes. They are attitudes, they are dispositions, characteristics of people that have entered the kingdom of God. They are now experiencing His grace. And here's how it begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke will say, blessed are the poor. But in essence, the message that's coming here from Jesus is, blessed are you, happy are you, fortunate are you, if you sense your spiritual poverty. If you know and mourn your sinful condition, but yet fall at the knees of Jesus, knowing that His grace is sufficient. That's what He's saying. Jesus even says, look, for those people, the kingdom is yours. It belongs to you. You recognize your spiritual need of me. The kingdom is yours. It's now. Blessed are those who are meek, who are gentle. Blessed are those that have a craving for righteousness or justice. Blessed are you. Happy are you even. Blessed are those that are merciful like their Father in heaven. They shall obtain mercy. Blessed are those that have those qualities of being pure in heart. Peacemakers even. Happy, blessed, fortunate are you even when you are persecuted. And it's raising the question, Jesus, why? Why would you say that which nobody was thinking that? In that day, if you were rich, you were blessed. Right? If you had power and influence, you were the blessed one. You were the one who God had favor on. Why are you saying these people are blessed, Jesus? Jesus knows what they're going to face in the coming years in the near future. And already he's preparing them. Jesus knows that those that take a stand for Jesus Christ will experience persecution and they're going to need a steady, rooted, grounded faith. And so he says, look, blessed are you. The kingdom is yours. You're persecuted. The kingdom belongs to you. You experience hardship. The kingdom belongs to you. This is not something that they were able to somehow muster in their own strength. You see, those that were receiving this blessed state of beating, these beatitudes, are those that have received Jesus Christ. They've come under the lordship of King Jesus. And they are daily receiving of His grace. And so His strength has made their strength perfect. In their weakness, He is strong. And because of their constant connection, their daily, here it is, relationship with Jesus... They're able to slowly over time maintain this, this peace, this joy, that if they lose the job, they have peace. If they get sick, they don't want to be sick, they may cry, but you know, God, blessed be the name of the Lord. You're a healer, whether I'm healed immediately over time or at the second coming of Jesus. I am healed in the name of Jesus Christ. I have a relationship that gives me something that the world is seeking, family. And they need to see it in you. Through the ups and downs of life, when the storms hit you, and some of you are experiencing storms right now. 
It does not remove the pain all the time. Sometimes it may. But what it's saying is, it's because of your connection to the King. He will sustain you. You will be blessed. And people will look and go, why is that person still smiling? Why do they not seem to be thrown? If that was me, I would go to the bottle. Blessed are you. Is that your experience? Is that how you're experiencing life when the hard times are hit? If you're not, and that consistent experience in Christ is not yours yet, Jesus says start at beatitude number one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Recognize your need and start there. Oh, but Jesus needs to clarify a conspiracy theory that's been going around. Come with me to Matthew 5, verse 17 and 20. Matthew, 7, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and verse 20. Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come or that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill, Jesus says, verse says, verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, as you're listening to this, you say, what? Exceed the righteousness of the church leadership? of the spiritual leaders of the nation who, to all outside view, were very pious and holy. This was the view. We hear Pharisee today and we think negative. They thought holy person, a respectable, honorable person. Oh, Jesus says, no, your righteousness needs to exceed it. He says, don't think I came here to do away with the law and the prophets. By the way, when he says law of the prophets, sometimes we immediately think Ten Commandments. It's inclusive of the Ten Commandments, but law there is speaking primarily to the first five books of Moses. You'll hear in the New Testament, the law of Moses. And the prophets is all the Old Testament prophets. He's saying the entire substance of Scripture. I have not come to do away with that. When I'm, the kingdom that I'm inaugurating, this will continue, inclusive of the Ten Commandments. He'll say later on in Matthew 22, 36 to 40, he'll say when someone asks him about the law, he says all the law and the prophets were based on love. Read it, Matthew 22, 36 to 40. They all hinge on love to God and love to man. So the principle of the law is love. And he says, I've come to fulfill it. I gave it and I interpret it. I will give it its true meaning. Jesus is the law incarnate. If you want to know what the law looks like lived out, look at the life of Jesus. That's it. And so he says, I am elevating it to its rightful place. It's been misinterpreted. People have tried to add things now. You guys are seeing a false representation of what it means to keep my law. And so here I am. I'm going to now, my kingdom, every kingdom and nation has a law, does it not? I'm going to now elevate and show you what I'm really trying to say about the law. And here's what he's saying to you. The law is not a mere list of requirements 
to just check off and say, I've met the requirement, God, I can go right into the gates of heaven. Jesus says, no, as a matter of fact, if that's how you approach the law, you are legalistic and you need to elevate the law. Here's what he says. He says, if you want to experience the kingdom life now, citizens of my kingdom will experience the law of love flowing from the inside out. They will experience the law. He's not doing away with it. But here's how it comes. It comes from the inside out. This is the law motivated by love. It has always been about the love of God. It has never ceased being about the love of God. And Jesus is saying, look, don't think I'm, I'm doing away with that which I gave. No, I'm coming to fulfill it. I'm coming to put it in its proper context. Many people feel, hey, you know, just because I'm looking at something on my screen, I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, physically being unfaithful. And so, check, I have not committed adultery. Jesus says, hold up. That type of legalistic checking off minimum requirement type thinking will put you in hell. Jesus says the law goes deeper than that. You are violating the spirit of the law, which is love. And so therefore, if you even look on somebody with lust, have mercy. You have broken the law and you are in need of grace lest you be condemned. Here's where he starts. He starts with murder. He says, if you have anger in your heart, bitterness in your heart, you say something with anger uncontrollably, you've already committed murder according to the law of God. You may not have taken out a sword or pulled out a nine, but you have committed murder in the eyes of the law. You need to repent. You need to re get reconciliation for the relationship. Jesus is saying, he talks about marriage and adultery. And again, he says, it starts from the inside out. You look with lust, you've broken the law. Now, of course, it's not equivalent to actually physically going and doing something with somebody, but it starts there. Anybody that does it physically first did it up here. When Eve plucked that fruit, the sin was already committed in the mind. Thoughts, feelings, actions. You think it, you feel it, then you act on it. Jesus says, change your thinking, because it starts from the inside out. Then he goes and he says, look, marriage is sacred to me. I gave it. It's a blessing. Don't just get divorced for any reason. I love marriage. And then he says, don't even try to swear by heaven, or don't even try to swear by the earth. Look, just be truthful and honest. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Be a man. Be a woman of your word. Right? This is the principle of love. But here it is. Some people hear this and they go, hey, CJ, here you go. You're preaching us kind of earning God's favor by keeping the law. And that is far from what Jesus is saying. Jesus recognizes that we don't have any power within ourselves. This is the same Jesus that said in John 15, 5 and 7, you can do nothing without me, Jesus said. But in Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through who? Through me and my own strength and knuckling it. Is that, is that what it is? No, my willpower. Is that what it is? I hear motivational speakers sometimes. You know, you can do it. It's in you, right? The greatness is within you. And, and you can make it happen. Create your own destiny. Jesus says, that's a lie. He says, 
It's through me that you can accomplish great things. It's through Christ. You don't have that strength. You are in need of grace. Grace that pardons, but grace that transforms. That empowers. That's what Jesus is saying. I know the, the standard is high. It needs to be high. Don't you want to be in an environment where everybody's loving each other and no one's violating each other? Jesus says that's what heaven is like. That's why when I came, this is not in my notes, have mercy. That's when I came, when I came, the kingdom, I said, is now. Because I'm teaching you right now how the kingdom is going to be up there. So in my reign, in my incarnation, in my life, death, ministry, this is what the kingdom is like. I'm modeling it for you. Follow me. It starts from the inside out. If you were to go, uh, because of time, if you were to go to Romans, if you were to go to John 14, 15, Jesus will say it this way. If you love me, keep my commandments. The test of your love is your obedience to his commandments. It's loving obedience, not legalistic obedience. It's from the inside out. But how does it get on the inside? Well, if you were to go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, the Bible says it's the Holy Spirit that pours out the love of God in your hearts. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's through a daily relationship and connection through me. By beholding me and my character of love, you become changed. If you've been in my classes and if you've heard me teach before, it's because by focusing on the love of God in your search of Scripture and the sacrifice of Christ, it produces a response from the inside. Ellen White puts it this way. She says, it's by love that love is awakened. It's by being and seeing how much God loves you that his love starts to be produced from the inside out. That's what Jesus is saying. Oh, but here's where Jesus leaves us today. Jesus says, if you want to see what kingdom maturity looks like, if you want to see the height of what it means to experience this inside-out type of the law of love being written on your hearts, are you ready for this? Go with me to verse 39. And he says, here, not only is the encouragement, but quite frankly, family, here is the challenge. Verse 39. Jesus says this. He says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him. Go with me to verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy and hate your neighbor. But I say to you, this is how he interprets his law over and over and over again. You have heard it said of old, but I say to you, but I say to you, love your enemy. Love your enemies. If you didn't get it, he says, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. What? Now, you, now for you to appreciate the weight of what Jesus is saying, you've got to understand who he's talking to in the context. He's talking to people that want him to, for lack of a better term, kick Roman patootie. Right? 
And so they go, Jesus, aren't we about to conquer the Romans? He says, you want to conquer the Romans? Here's how we're going to do it. Love them. Love them. Oh, you may not agree with them. Love them. Here's kingdom life now. He says, if you want to experience kingdom life now, you want to be a part of this reign, this administration, this government. He says, you need to, and watch this, you need to confront evil in a nonviolent way and have enemy love. Nonviolent confrontation of evil and enemy love. This has inspired many throughout the centuries, particularly notably Mahatma Gandhi, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., nonviolent resistance, speaking truth to power but not taking up the sword. They were inspired. It produced movements that changed the world. What Jesus is talking about here, by the way, is not the epitome of weakness. It's the epitome of strength. It's not natural. It comes from depending on Jesus. It comes from a daily relationship with him. That's why it's spiritual maturity, as we're about to see in a moment, the way he ends chapter 5. These, these principles have sparked movements that have brought about civil rights and freedom in many places. Here's what Jesus is saying. You see, you've got to understand the context as we close. You've got to understand the context of what Jesus was saying. And even today, the reality is that in the Middle East, there is a high shame and honor culture. Okay? To be shamed publicly was a big deal, and to be honored publicly was a big deal. So watch what Jesus is actually saying. Nonviolent confrontation of evil. I like what the uh, scholars in the Andrews Study Bible have brought out of this text. Powerful. Pay attention to these words. They say this, while Jesus is ruling out physical retaliation, he supports other expressions of dealing with evil. To give the person your cloak, which was an undergarment, also is to stand before them naked. To look on a naked person in that culture was a shame. Thus, the Christian gently invites the abuser to experience shame for the deed. To insist on going the second mile after you have fulfilled the legal requirement of taking the Roman soldier's load the first mile is to be in charge. Jesus is teaching an active pacifism. Oh, Jesus says, oh yes, love them, but don't be a doormat. Right? Don't, he's not saying unnecessarily put yourself in danger. He says, but when evil confronts you, you confront it. Speak truth to power without the sword. Oh, confront evil in a nonviolent way. But look, he wants to be very clear. I want you to understand where this is going, Jesus is saying. Love your enemies. Oh, I know this is strong food today. Because some of us, whether we want to admit it or not, have some memories running on loop somewhere up here. You see, Jesus before would say something like this, almost more in a more positive sound. He would say, love your neighbor. Right? We know the story of the, great, of the Good Samaritan, which, by the way, the Good Samaritan was the, the hero in the story. And 
That was very offensive to the Jewish listener. Jesus is saying the Samaritan, your enemy loved his neighbor. But he says, just so that you're clear on what I'm saying, love your enemies. Oh, you want to conquer the Romans? Yes, here's how we're going to conquer them. Love them. Oh, you don't agree with them. You have a different lifestyle than them. You worship different than them. Love them. Love them. It's a challenging, it's a challenging word from Jesus. This is why in verse 45, Jesus says, look, when you love them, you will be like your father in heaven. He says this in verse 45, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Oh, God deals with evil. He does. And ultimately, He will. But He still is trying. They're His children. He's trying to reach them. And guess what? You know the primary way on earth right now He's trying to reach them? is through us. It's a hard word. This was offensive and revolutionary at the same time. And it shook the Roman Greco world. And people came to Jesus in droves. Look what he says in verse 48. Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And here's what Jesus is saying. Perfection there is speaking of spiritual maturity as you are connected with Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, you want to know? You want to know the depth of your love for God? Love your enemies. You want to know how deep your love for God goes? How do you respond to people that are hurtful to you? Oh, we can't get there by ourselves, family. We need Jesus, don't we? Oh, we need Jesus. Oh, we need, I need Jesus for this. Yes? Jesus says, look, this is what the kingdom is about. This is kingdom life, Jesus says. He says kingdom life is when you have such a growing, consistent, blessed state of being that you produce an irresistible influence on the world. He says... Kingdom life is when the love of God through the law of love is being written on your hearts through the Holy Spirit, through that daily relationship with Jesus, and it flows from the inside out. Don't minimize the law. Don't try to justify, excuse sin. No, fall at the feet of Jesus and receive his grace. He says, if you want to mature and you want a test of your maturity in Jesus as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, are you loving your enemies? Be honest in the house of God this morning. Who is your enemy? Are they on the job? Are they in the school? Are they in the home or the neighborhood? Are they the liberal Christian or the conservative Christian? Are they the Republican or the Democrat? Are they the refugee? Are they the homosexual? Oh, you don't agree with them? You may not agree with them. You can disagree and still have some pizza. So Jesus is saying, speak truth to power. If injustice happens, say something. But love them. Love them. You see, God knows what it's like as we pray. God knows what it's like to love his enemies. You take a trip to Romans chapter 5. And you go to verse number 8, and it says that God demonstrated his love in that while 
we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. But guess what? In verse 10, it even goes on to expound on what he means there by sinners. It says, those that were enemies of God. The Roman soldier is nailing the nail, hammering that nail into the hands of Jesus. There's no retaliation on Jesus. Here's the words that are falling from Jesus' lips. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you're going to follow, you, you say you're a follower of Jesus, there it is. There it is. You can't do that by yourself. No, you need Jesus. But he promises to take us there by his grace. Receive his grace today and enter in to the kingdom life that Jesus calls you to now. Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.